Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what's going on? We interrupt this broadcast to bring you the Britflix Fright Fest Preview Podcast 2016. Welcome to another Britflix Fright Fest Preview Podcast. Today I've got with me. For the first time in the previous series, one of the short filmmakers, I've got uh, Nev Pierce. Hello, Nev. Hello. And uh, I catch you while you're down the southwest. I am. I'm in Torquay at the moment. Uh, retreated to uh, my fiance's uncle's house to do some writing because he's on holiday. So we're enjoying being in his house, and uh, I'm about halfway through a script. Good man. Good man. Well, we may we may get there later. So, what's the uh, what's the name of the film that you've got showing at Fright Fest this year? It's called Bricks. Okay. Um, it's a sort of 10-minute uh, thriller um, set in a basement about a uh, posh wine connoisseur who's got in someone to renovate his basement, uh, a bricklayer who he has a bit of a disagreement with. Okay. So um, so is, is it worth sort of – was this something that started with you um, as a blank piece of paper? Did you come at it as the director and picked a script from thin air or – do you work directly with the writer? Well, I co-wrote this one. Okay. Uh, working with Jamie Russell, who's... Um, well, my background is as a journalist, and um, he was a journalist as well. And we'd okay. written features together and talked about writing and making films for a long time. And then we've been talking about... I wanted to direct and knew that a short would be the best way, obviously, into that. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realise that at first, but after a while, you go around trying to pitch features and people say, so what have you done and you say nothing it doesn't really instill a great deal of confidence yeah. so better do a short film and we were tossing around various ideas and i thought oh would it be nice to do something in a basement like some contained environment mm. um and i had an idea of what would happen in the story and i mentioned it to jamie and he said oh i think that sounds that sounds a lot like a, an echo Allan poe short story so i'm sure i just ended up reading that story when i was a kid and ripping it off right um and then he sent me that we read that and we adapted that together so what was the, um, when you say co-writing then, how did you sort of split the disciplines or how did that work? Was, was, was it classically one of you at the typewriter and another one pacing up and down, throwing out thoughts? Or Yeah, it tends to be the case. So Jamie's at the typewriter and I'm on the phone. Um, <laughs> um, I used to live in Devon full-time, now I live in Clapham and he lives up in Shrewsbury. So he'll be at the typewriter and I shall be talking and talking and talking. Um, 
and kind of getting on his nerves, and then out of that emerges something. Okay. So how, how, do, you, how, do, you, how do you think you get to the sort of nub of it that way, then? How does that work for the pair of you? That's a good question. Um, I mean, after the first script we ever wrote together, which is a horror western, which was years and years ago, we wrote that in pubs. Mm. And we didn't know much about screenwriting. I mean, you could argue we still don't. But <laughs> in that instance, we sat and we just figured out the story as we went. Yeah. And that, a really, that's a really good experience and something we really enjoyed. I mean, that might have been the Guinness that was involved as well. But mm. um, it was quite a naive way to do it. And it's quite a time um, intensive way to do it, you know, to write something without really a proper outline or any of that stuff you read about in screenwriting books. Subsequent to that, you know, we will work on a very, very detailed outline, on our feature stuff at least. Mm. Um, the shorts, I'm trying to remember, I think we just talked about it and then I suspect that Jamie wrote the first draft and then I went over it and back and forth like that. Because on our subsequent shorts, um, Lock-In, which is one we finished at the end of last year, we were going to co-write that and then Jamie wrote the first draft, and I thought, this doesn't need me to co-write it. Okay. So we, we went with that. Well, I mean, after other some other work on it, some other drafts and stuff um, yeah. to do with practical production things um, and scale. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Did that answer your question? It's I, very, think, I, I think it did. I think it did. Um, <laughs> so as a, as a form, though, um, short films obviously are different than, than, than feature films, um, and that's a stupid statement to make, but uh, it, it'll lead to a question, believe me. Um, and, and in that sense, it's interesting watching your shorts because they do feel like mini features. Um, you, you tend to... You, the two I've watched, The Lock-In and Brick, have both got sort of a, like a beginning, middle and end. I mean, when, if you go to enough film festivals and you watch enough shorts back-to-back, there tends to be a bit of a kind of, almost like a kind of fast show sketch elements of short films where it's kind of set up and pay off, set up and pay off. There isn't, there's never really any evolution at all of any character or, or, or the situation. And I thought both, both of your, uh, both the short films I watched felt like they were like, like, you know, like feature theory in a short film form, if that makes sense. Well, that's very kind of you to say. That's a, that's a very nice compliment. Um, I don't know what that, whether that was just we've I mean, we've watched a lot of short films and certainly I've watched a lot of short films from judging um, short film competitions as a journalist Yeah. and just having a short film that has kind of a satisfying story puts it ahead of the pack in that context mm. in terms of something that's not necessarily trying to make some grand statement or necessarily trying to be art but just trying to engage you for 10 minutes when I was uh, an editor at film magazine people would send in samples of writing and you'd get people sending in thousand word essays or 10,000 word essays, film theory essays. And I'd always ask for a hundred word DVD review because you could tell whether someone could write if they can do you a compelling hundred words mm. that tells you the story, the beginning, middle and end in terms of that kind of structure. And I feel like similarly in film, mm. um, you should be trying to grab people, engage them and change things in a in a way, throughout that format, if you can. That said, I mean, I think short films kind of tend to work best if they're they're kind of jokes or they're poems, you know, um, in terms of they often have a bit of a twist at the end. Mm. And um, that can be very satisfying, um, especially if you don't spot them as you're, as you're watching. True, true, true. Um, so... In terms of, I mean, short films are not uh, that often, not often considered a sort of commercial entity. So... Um, I'm not asking you how much, but how did you go about funding the short films? Robbery and begging. 
Really? Well, with the with Bricks, there were a couple of people who were interested in feature ideas, um, and um, some of which are still going on. And so they put some money into it. Um, somebody else, um, who's just kind of more sort of philanthropic, I think, like the idea put some cash into it. Lock in Creative England put some money into that because we were in their iShorts scheme. Okay. And then we crowdfunded um, about six grand of that budget, um, which you know, which actually is a little, feels a little short of begging sometimes. You're like, no, not how, close. how many relatives who I haven't spoken to in about a year can I write to asking them to put money into this film? <laughs> well, um, uh, so, that, I mean, I think that's that's... I mean, it's not the only challenge, but it's the, possibly the biggest challenge of trying to make short films that do have a certain professional production aspect to it. And some people manage it without any money, and I'm, like, completely impressed by that, the people who can put stuff together, and either because of their own technical knowledge or because of the equipment they've got or just because of the knack, the facility they have, they can make um, short films that look incredibly slick and they can do it on an on a absolute shoestring. Well, I was going to say, I don't. I'm, sometimes I think it's the the, the self funding side of it tends to reflect eventually in the cast, because if you're having to beg, borrow, and steal always, I'm not saying that people like you've got you've got you know recognisable faces in 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 the two short films are watched, and and it's not that you would have obviously paid them the kind of going rates to get for a movie, but it's having that kind of element of funding that's covering people's at least expenses and stuff. That helps, I guess, get people on board. I think when you're looking at short films, if you're going to get actors of any kind of note, it probably it's either they're starting out and they're just you're lucky to find someone who's good, or they're established enough that they don't really need the money. Hmm. I mean, I do know some short films where people have been paid decent amounts of money to be involved in them, but in this instance, that was not the case. The, at least you can. The thing you try and say to people is, that, well, at least you're not going to actively lose money in this. <laughs> and. Um, and it helped with the shorts with Bricks that I knew Jason Fleming through my work as a journalist and Blake Ritson was a friend of a friend. Mm. So, you know, you're not coming to somebody cold or via their agent where an agent's probably thinking, why would I want my client to spend their time doing this? <laughs> I talked with Fleming for years about doing something together. I think he was probably just eventually quite surprised that I finally got around to doing it and it actually happened. But then you've got a massive advantage because you've got someone who's done, you know, umpteen films, massively experienced, the nicest man in the world, really sets the tone um, for a production. And that's the thing you can't fake, isn't it? I mean, you can get away with other elements maybe not being great or you can disguise it, but you can't. It's very hard to disguise if your cast aren't up to it. How did, how did you make bridge that gap then? The sort of being friends with somebody in, in a professional sense from a kind of journalist actor, director, and then you be the director that's now cast him in a movie and you're directing the short film. Um, I'm not, it's not to say that you suddenly become some autocratic dictator who wants to tell him where to stand and what to do, so to speak, but the, the relationship changes, doesn't it? Into, or the dynamic changes in the relationship when you're directing a film that they're in. Or, or does it? I think you cast people because you think they can do it. Okay. Or- begin with and so it's not like I'm desperately trying to get people to reinvent themselves I'm not casting massively against type it's stuff mm. that I've seen in them um, and I think you don't yeah you don't put on some great airs and graces if, if they're a friend or if they've known you in that context then they probably I mean I don't know you'd have to ask Jason but probably one of the reasons he did it is because 
we talked a lot about film. Mm-hmm. You know, met on set. We've met on set of um, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Right. I was visiting, and so you meet in a sort of complete, in a weird sort of different context than you would usually meet, and you end up talking about all sorts of things you wouldn't necessarily talk about in an interview context. Right. And so I think he just knew what I thought about film, and we knew we got on well together. And I also think he's somebody who's prepared to take a risk on people, and there aren't very many people like that who just think, well, this bloke might go on to do something um, decent. I might want to work with him again. I think that's probably Fleming's attitude to it. So in, from, from you as a directing point of view, then, what was your ambition? So I mean, you, you talked about going out there and trying to get features made and people going, OK, what have you done? And you go, oh, nothing. So you retreat and you make the short films. So what with something like Bricks, then, what were you trying to show that then would would help you with that conversation while trying to get feature films made? I think arguably the smartest thing to do would be to do a short film which could serve very much as a trailer or, or what they call a pilot short, don't they, for mm. a feature film. So naturally, that being the smartest thing to do, it's not what I did. <laughs> I was really determined to have something that did stand by itself, though, that you could go, OK, that's a, that's a movie. You know, you're going to enjoy that. That's ten minutes that you won't feel as wasted. Mm. And I guess I was perhaps a little naive in terms of I thought, well, maybe that'll be enough to convince people that I should be trusted with the feature. <laughs> like, well, because I do think it's like, can you tell a story? Can you get performances? Or can you cast? Yeah. Um, that's in itself, I think, valuable. Uh, and um, so that was it, really. I guess it was just saying, look, I can do this. And also, it's for myself. I talked about doing it for a long time as a journalist with mm. friends. Um, Jamie said the first time I met him, which should have been 99, I bought a cigar and said I was going to direct movies in Hollywood, which I have no recollection of saying, but it does sound like the sort of stupid thing I would say. <laughs> so it's already been in my head for a long time, so it's just finally direct that, which was last January, so January 2015. Okay. It was quite a relief to do it and be like, oh, I actually do enjoy this. That's good. So that was the other reason to do it, because if I'd hated it, I'd have just thought, well, I've been chasing the wrong dream, so i better go and do something else. What was it particularly you enjoyed about directing then that you wasn't anticipating? It's not writing. You don't, you Go don't, on, you're not, you're explain. Not, explain. <laughs> you're not faced with a blank page. You're faced with decisions, but you're around people as well. You know, and it's all, it's all the different elements, and that can be really frustrating as well, but it's also just exciting. Um, I don't know, it's hard to articulate why I found it so satisfying. Well, I think you just did then. I, I like that idea, because, I, I mean, as someone that writes... I can I can see that appeal because if you if you, if you're it's 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 sometimes the worst thing about being sort of a, the writer who's also a people person is having to sort of punish themselves to then go and meet people as opposed to, I imagine what you just said then about directing is you're suddenly the problems facing you are with other people aren't they and so for better or for worse you're going to get there. Yeah, I mean, hopefully you get to meet lots of different people and bring out the best in them and they bring out the best in you and it's. I mean, it's a really great feeling when you write and you write something you're happy with. Mm. It's also a really great feeling when you ask somebody for something and you brief somebody on something and they come back with something which is different but better. That's, you know, it's working with Jim, who's edited all three of the shorts, Jim Page. Yeah. Jim will invariably, I'll give him quite detailed thoughts on something and he'll come back having done something that's different and it's better. You know, it, 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 not saying he just disregards what's been said, you know, but he'll come off and have a play and be prepared to have a play or he'll do a version which is the version that adheres to what I said, hmm. do a different version. He cut a minute out of bricks. Oh, um, really? Brilliantly. 
you know, more or less, just in one edit, went, why don't you try this? Because it was a bit sluggish. Mm. And suddenly you're like, well, damn it, I wish I'd, wish I'd, why didn't I realise before we shot it would have saved me half a day mm. <laughs> or a couple of hours at least. But that's the process. Um, it's quite, you know, that's, that's exciting, I think, to see other people do their jobs well. And, and it feels really, really satisfying. With, um, when, when you were on, when you were on set and you, you were getting ready to shoot, what was, what was your conversations like with, with your cast? How, how, how did you sort of convey how you wanted to work as it were? Um, or how much flexibility you wanted to give them in terms of what you were doing, in terms of how you were blocking the shots, how, what they had to say and so on. I think we'd done a read-through beforehand when we ran, um, when we fitted the costumes as well the week before. And it'd okay. been a very brief thing where we'd literally read it through uh, Blake and Jason, me and Jamie, um, the, Russell, the co-writer, um, and just to make sure that the words felt right for people, and we tweaked it a couple of ways there. Did that have an impact then, did it, on, on, on what was on the page, the read-through? Not not massively, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like any big changes, but it was a few bits of, you know, bits and pieces of dialogue, just making sure people feel comfortable with what they're saying. Mm. And also things that, I remember think Blake said, oh, you know, I think I could do this with a look. And you're like, yep, that's right, you could. Great. <laughs> um, and so that was great. And I had quite clear ideas about how I wanted to shoot it, having worked, taught it through with Sam Rent and the DP for quite a long time. Mm. But equally not dictatorial, you're kind of open to what other people have to say. And in that context, though, you know, I think Blake and Jason have been doing this for long enough to realise, you know, yes, we're going to bring ideas, but we don't have loads of time to play. You know, this isn't... We, we're not doing a Mike Lee process here. It's we've got two days in a damp basement. we better get on with it. Right. Um, so there's just certain practical implications. And sometimes it's a question of, you know, this is where it works. And I remember on one instance Fleming saying, well, I think I'd probably stand there. And I think it was as simple as, yeah, you probably would, but then the camera can't see you. So we're going, <laughs> in terms of where we'd set up, that's not necessarily the most ideal way to work. Mm. Uh, but he was like, fine, moved in, nudged in, got on with it. You're always trying to make the, I think you should try and make your actors feel as comfortable as possible and as natural as they possibly can. And only very occasionally have to do that kind of stuff. But those two are so good. I mean, that there wasn't a great deal of direction per se to do. It's very, it's conversations beforehand, and then it's very simple stuff on the day, you know, quicker, simple, you know, really that straightforward, a little bit more playful. Yeah. Um, or I'm seeing that a little bit too much, just tiny little things. Now, let's uh, let's tell everybody then, when, when can people see Bricks at uh, Fright Fest? Uh, it's uh, playing on Monday the 29th at 12.30 with a bunch of other shorts, which obviously I'm keen to see whilst hoping they're not better. <laughs> it's not a competition, but you hope you'll win. <laughs> Absolutely. Is always. that what you're saying? Absolutely, <laughs> of course. <laughs> how, do you think, how do you think it fits in with genre, though? Um, I mean, uh, Fright Fest is interesting because I've, I've interviewed a few people this year and some of the American people who, are, who think they're coming to a horror festival, which obviously traditionally was... A surprise to learn, you know, you call Fright Fest now the sort of dark heart of cinema as opposed to the home of horror, because I think genre is kind of sort of mushroomed into this broader broader field, hasn't it, I suppose? Well, I think there are certain directors who you admire who cross sort of both boundaries. I mean, is Polanski a horror director? He's made, like, Rosemary's, Rosemary's Babies, one of, you know, the best horror movies, but it's mm. also a thriller and a drama. It's lots of different things. Mm. Um, Cronenberg being another... 
where they sort of cross over those boundaries. I mean, I'm really thrilled that we're in Fright Fest. It's a big deal. Mm. You know, we couldn't be happier in terms of something that feels like uh, tonally right for the movie. Mm. Um, we didn't necessarily set out to make a, a horror movie per se, but I think that's only because maybe the notion of a horror movie in some people's minds has become, you know, sore or whatever, or whatever... Um, extreme kind of horror like extremely explicitly violent things but i don't think that is what everything that horror is you know i think horror can be a lot more subtle than that um so yeah we're thrilled we we, we uh it was uh yeah so uh, lots of excited emails going back and forth between me and jamie like school kids well i think about it i think i've asked other people because with feature films you know what would be the ideal sort of double bill to have with your as of a well-known film so with yours being a short film, what would be the ideal film for your short to be the opening sort of salvo before the feature presentation? If you're going to pair it with a feature film. I mean, be a, well, be a well-known feature film that you admire, so to speak. I'm not saying pick one from Fright Fest, but, you know. I see, I always think Double Bill should be like, like a bit of contrast. You know, okay. The, oh, well, you, you tell me a contrast. A contrast. you have, like, Singing in the Rain or something like that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I mean, totally, uh, I think if you were looking at stuff that you realise how much you get influenced by things you watch when you're growing up. Mm. The films that I ended up, I always end up gravitating towards, so ones that I would probably choose to watch are, you know, stuff by David Fincher, Polanski, uh, yeah, Cronenberg. You know, if anybody watched the short and then watched one of those films and felt like that was totally okay, you know, not that I'm saying that that it's going to be anywhere near as good as those movies, but if they felt tonally, oh, okay, that lives in that kind of space, then I'd be very, very happy. I interviewed um, Robert Cargill, who wrote Sinister, amongst many things. That was his first feature film. That's a really good film. It is. And he, he obviously was... He came from journalism to f- filmmaking. And it was it's a bit kind of poacher-term gamekeeper thing. How, how do you, having, having written about film and, and sort of, you know, interviewed filmmakers and stuff, how have you found the sort of movement move from the kind of watching from the stands to being on the field of play you know making a film how does that how does that feel to you it's made me wish i'd been nicer <laughs> have you have you have you have you said a few cross words on in print have you in the past when i started out i did i don't think i've done that for a long time i think when you start out as a journalist when i was i don't know 20 or something mm. you you can sometimes just be trying to show off about how clever you are. Mm. You know, I remember like writing a couple of reviews for films, which I look back and think, well, were those reviews well written? Yeah, but were they well spirited? Were they, you know, were they well meant? No, they were just mean. Mm. And I think good reviewers, you should be writing. If you, if you don't like something, you should be writing like a disappointed friend and not like a gleeful enemy. And I think I've certainly written a few as a gleeful enemy, and these days I try not to be that person. Um, I think you do come to realise the sort of cliche that it's. Um, it's hard to make any film, even a bad one. Mm. The 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 level of um, the all the different moving elements that have to come into play. Um, I also think though that being a film journalist and having spent so much time on set with different people really helped. So okay. it, did, it meant that when I was on set, it didn't feel a it didn't feel alien and it didn't feel like I didn't feel completely lost because I spent a lot of time on set with people. And watched a lot of how things how things were done and learnt a lot. You know, mm. I've been on set with 
Fincher for every film since Zodiac. Okay. So if you spend a few days watching him, then you maybe think, well, I'm never going to be as good as that, but you're at least you're aspiring to something and you're learning from watching him with actors, watching him with crew and how things get done. Now, granted, then you're working on a movie that's, uh, you know, where the um, the entire budget is probably the water bottle budget for half a day on one of his shoots. Mm. So there are changes there, but the principle's the same. You're still telling stories and you're still trying to deal with people. So you're just trying to learn from that. So that was helpful. You know, that's been a massive help, I think, in, growing, in moving into this process. It doesn't feel completely alien. Okay, okay. So, so yeah, so there's the sort of... I guess as well, there's a, there's a, as, as, a, as a pupil, there's a, distance, there's a safe distance as a journalist, isn't there, at first? Because you're, you're there just to observe and you learn without it being the pressure that you're learning to be a filmmaker, but clearly you can't help but having picked things up. Yeah, I mean, I think I was quite conscious for quite a long time of, want, of knowing I wanted to make films, whether I admitted it or not. So I did just think of it as, to a degree, as like a private film school. Mm. And that, mean, that made me better at my job as a journalist because it meant I was asking questions that they weren't necessarily getting asked all the time, mm. um, which meant that I had some very, very good experiences um, which I think made me better, yeah, better in the job I was in and better in the job that I'm moving into now. The the flip of that, of course, is it can be frustrating. You know, you spend a lot of time watching other people make films and you're just desperate to do it yourself. Mm. And that, that still remains the case when you see some films getting made and you think, well, damn it, how come that's getting made and I'm not making this? But, you know, disappointment is fuel, isn't it? You've just got to um, keep on going. No, indeed, indeed. But that that um, that perception of the I like the expression of the disappointed friend versus gleeful enemy. How, how much did the um, the perception of other gleeful enemies that are out there, as it were, sort of sort of hinder you? And then how you break through that kind of look? I've got to ignore that. What 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 do you mean? How people will think about what I'm yeah, doing? Yeah, yeah. People's people. You know, the, the the perception that along the way you might find people that will turn out to be that that. That glee for, you know, that twenty-year-old writer that starts tomorrow that sees the film, so to speak, you know. I think if you've been that person, then it's easy to dismiss that person. Oh, know? okay. And that uh, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't listen if some people don't like your work or they've got reasons, and there'll be there'll be critics that you're going to always listen to, mm. even if they don't like your stuff. You know, there's going to be people whose bylines I always look out for, and if they like it, then great, and if they don't, then it's going to be disappointing. But it doesn't mean that they're suddenly there opinion is invalid mm. um so uh, and as to having been a journalist and then coming into this i mean i still do journalism so what that will mean in terms of what people think when they watch the stuff i don't know i mean i don't know that people will be that bothered it's short films i'm not coming out with a top 10 theatrical release one day one day i hope to get snide reviews from jealous journalists because that would mean i'd actually made it <laughs> What would you consider to be, uh, for those people sort of itching to make their first short film, what would you be sort of three key lessons learned for you that you'd pass on to someone if if, I had them, if they're listening right now? Pick your locations first before anything else, even before your story, if at all possible, because that, I would say, is by far the hardest element of making the films, apart from raising the money, which mm. is which is tricky, but, you know, we wrote Bricks thinking, hey, it's set in a basement, how hard will it be to find a basement we can shoot in? It turned out incredibly difficult. 
uh, we set lock in a pub thinking, well, pubs are closing all the time. We'll definitely find a pub we can use. Turned out to be incredibly difficult. And sometimes, now I'm like, if I make another short, maybe I could just set it in my flat. What would happen in my flat? Because at least I know I can shoot there. Um, what else? I don't be prepared. So, you know, it's a cliche. I think I was more prepared for the first short than I was for the second and the third, just because of time. Because there'd been so much time leading up to the first short, and I'd ended up pushing the production of it a couple of times because of other circumstances, which meant that it had already been made in my head lots and lots of times before we shot. Okay, so it's what you're saying is there on the, on the other two, sort of momentum took over. Your ability yeah. to be prepared. Yeah, I mean, you're still prepared, but I think you could... Um, I mean, I think you probably always feel you can be better prepared. Mm. Um, but I think on the on the first one, I very much had locked in my head exactly what each shot mm. what the shots were. And on the second and third one, I did have that list in my head and that list on paper. Mm. I don't think I'd gone over it as many times as I would have liked to. Um, and it worked. And again, the thing that works in that is that you, the actors... You know, if you've got actors who are good enough and that will get you out of all sorts of trouble. You know, you've got someone, yeah. Nicholas Pinnock, and you can just hold a shot on him and know that, right, that's enough. I don't need to do anything else. Um, and, sorry, go on. I was going to say, now, I don't want to spoil bricks, so I won't do any, I won't, don't want any specifics there, but I think you've, you've introduced what it's about. But I just wanted to just, just shine a light on locking, if I could. Sure. Because um, there, there, there was a bit, I mean, and... I don't want you to blush or anything, um, but the the closing sort of fra- frames or two where you hold on Tim McNe- McKinnery, I can never pronounce his bloody name, and 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 the other actor, and then he walks out, and you're just left with him stood there, and that whole expanse of pub that's in the shot where you've got him at Tim at the, to the left of the screen, mm-hmm. which just such a beautiful. It was a, it was a beautiful moment. The um, the way the way it captures, and then you just cut to the picture. You go back to the beginning of the film with the the picture of the uh, football team in the frame. I thought it was uh, really well done. Was that was that was, did that come? Was that all as you planned it, or did that was some of that born out of the edit? That was all planned. Mm. I mean, in terms of the framing, I've got to give credit to Fleming Jetmar, the DP. But in terms of the notion of what the shots would be and where we would go and how the film would finish as opposed to how it would begin, that was in the script. You know, that was Jamie and I talking about that. Um, and I think we'd talked about how the movie would open and how the movie would end. So that was in the script when we came to production. Because, I mean, it was a genuinely a, a, a lovely cinematic moment. You know, and if I'm watching it on a laptop and I feel like that, then I think I feel like you've achieved a load there for it to feel like that watching it on a laptop. Okay, well, I am blushing now. This is why we don't have the video function on. <laughs> no, because it was it was one of the moments where you know you know you, you must have done it yourself where you've previewed a film and gone, oh, "Frig, I wish I'd seen this on a bigger screen now." Because uh, yeah, that really took me away. You know, you 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 had me as it were. So uh, congratulations on that from my point of view. That's, okay. that's um, not to, that's not to say there isn't some fantastic stuff in in Bricks, but I can't really talk too specifically about it because if I do. I'm going to just be spoiling ten minutes of short <laughs> film for people that might be listening and hoping to see it. Um, so let's let's remind people then when they can see Bricks. Uh, Bricks would be twelve thirty on the 29th of August. At the uh, was it View Seppage Bush? I think it is. Are you going to be there? I am indeed. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Is, is it up? I don't know because I've never. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I tend to get stuck in the main screen because I'm reviewing stuff. Um, Fright Fest usually. So with the short film program, is is there going to be an opportunity for you to be doing a Q and A? 
as part of the event? Obviously, when there's more than one film, I don't know how that works. I think there's a, there's a whole bunch of films. I think some people will be introducing them, so I might end up introducing Bricks, yeah. um, which will largely just be me trying not to embarrass myself. I don't think there'll be a Q&A, although I imagine I'll be in a pub afterwards if anyone wants a pint. <laughs> well, there we go. There's an offer. Well, look, thank you very much for coming on the podcast to talk about your film and filmmaking. It's a pleasure. It's, uh, it's very nice of you to uh, have me on here. Indeed. Well, I hope that um, when before you become the big Hollywood success, when you become the kind of UK rising star, that we get you on Britflix again, talking about your feature. I'd love to. That'd be excellent. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes. Hey, what's going on? If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we release it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to stream from on the website. This has been a Gridflix Fright Fest Preview Podcast 2016. If you are listening to this podcast through iTunes and you've got five minutes to spare and you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave me a review and a comment. It will really help to publicise and promote the Britflix.com podcast and get more people to hear what you enjoy. Thank you. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.